This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes and set aside time to explore the reality behind a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, an assistant editor at Christianity Today, and I'm joined, as always, by Mark Alley, CT's editor-in-chief. Hey. Mark, who is in the studio with us this morning. Well, it's it's a man who, though he was born 14 years after me, has accomplished six times as much in his life as I have. Wow. Ed Stetzer. Hi is an author, a speaker, a researcher, pastor, church planter, Christian missiologist, a husband, father. Motivational speaker living in a van down by the river. Social media extraordinaire. There you go. Rabble rouser. Rabble rouser, yeah. In case you just want to know what he officially does, he holds the Billy Graham Distinguished Endowed Chair for Church, Mission, and Evangelism. That is... The just longest a mouth, title ever. Yeah. Why it's, can't you just be the professor of evangelism? I'm right? happy to be whatever you want me to be, Mark. Okay. Just, just tell me what to and do. And he's executive director of the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism at Wheaton College. Yes. Why not just say you're an administrator why, at Wheaton why College? Why don't you move on? <laughs> <laughs> and we're all friends, that's, we should say. That's probably why you don't get much sleep. It just takes you a long time just to announce your title to people. Which, ironically, I don't usually begin most conversations announcing my title. But nevertheless, thank you for doing well, that. Well, we're trying to make sure our readers will understand how important you I are. I just want our listeners to understand that readers are not readers. the same thing. <laughs> but this is what happens when an editor-in-chief speaks. This is a podcast. You know what a podcast is, right? You know how it works. We're not, we're not transcribing this or anything. Maybe we are. I don't know. All right. Sorry. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So let's get into the reason why we brought Ed on the show, because literally, after reading that long title, he could have been brought on to chime in on almost any topic. But of course, we're here. We're going to go with the controversial one. So let's get into it. Last week, a two-time Southern Baptist Convention president, Jack Graham, announced that his church would withhold its donation to the denomination's cooperative program, where individual churches donate to a common pot, which in turn funds state conventions and national denomination agencies and seminaries. Graham's Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Texas, is the fifth largest church in the denomination. And last year, the congregation gave about a quarter million dollars to national ministry and missions, money which includes the Russell Moore-led Southern Baptist public policy arm, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. This is the primary body that Graham no longer wants his church to support. In an interview earlier this month, Graham noted a, quote, uneasiness among church leaders about the, quote, disconnect between some of our denominational leaders and our churches. Graham and Moore took two different postures throughout last year's elections. Graham initially criticized Trump after Pastor Max Lucado broke his political silence last year to criticize the tone of the Trump campaign. This was in February, by the way. Graham tweeted, I couldn't agree more. But later that summer, Graham joined Trump's list of faith advisors and penned several editorials explaining his support. Moore, on the other hand, consistently spoke out against Donald Trump and at one point criticized his religious right supporters as defined by the, quote, doctrinally vacuous resentment over a lost regime of nominal cultural Christian America. In December, there was a Wall Street Journal story about the backlash to Moore Moore's views, and Graham said, quote, there was a disrespectfulness towards Southern Baptists and other evangelical leaders, past and present. And last week when he was explaining his church's decision, he said, 
I'm not angry at the SBC and neither are our people and I'm not working to start a movement to fire anyone. This is a difficult decision for me. Personally, I love Southern Baptist and I still want to be a cooperating partner as we have been for many years. We're just concerned about the direction of the Southern Baptist Convention and feel the need to make some changes in the way we give. So this week on Quick to Listen, we want to not only unpack this news story, but also talk about the ethics of churches withdrawing financial support of national bodies, as well as individuals withdrawing their pledges to the local church. What does this say about our commitment to larger bodies and to the local church and to church unity? If people stop giving whenever they don't like something the larger body is doing. And under what circumstances, if any, is this an appropriate step to take? So we're going to start this off by doing a gut check, which is the moment where Mark and I give you some candid and honest responses, hopefully, about how we feel about what we're talking about today. So I'm going to throw it to Mark first. Yeah, I guess my gut check was, there go those Southern Baptists again. (laughs) Always always good to be here. Thanks for having me as a guest on the show. (laughs) Meaning it uh, has a history of being very political, probably more so than other denominations. I don't know if I uh, would be able to stand by that. Says the man in Anglicanism, Anglicanism. which has reorganized 14 (laughs) times in the last few months. (laughs) I'll see you at the ACNA meeting this summer. But anyway, keep going. One of the most political. There you go. There you go. Well, how did you mean political? I thought you were meaning political, kind well, of about like what poli- the, American okay, politics. Just, uh, now I've read Graham's statements, and I don't, uh, I don't want to question his motives. But my first reaction was he's trying to manipulate the process to get more fired. Okay. And if I need to be, that needs to be disproven today. I'm happy to have it disproven. But that was my gut check. I don't want to question his motives, but here are his motives. Okay. No, no. But that's what I thought. That's, that's what, what I thought. felt. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. And I, okay. I'm open to hearing the evidence to the contrary. When you said political, I figured you find it in terms of process, but I also kind of thought that it has to do a lot with actually our nation's politics. To me, Southern Baptists, they're very politically active and they're in the public square a little bit more. When he, when you were making talking about Anglicans, for instance, I don't necessarily think of national politics interfering what they're doing yeah. within their denomination. Right. Not certainly not the reorganized Anglicans. The Episcopal Church will be very involved on the other side of the political yeah, spectrum. But, but nobody yeah. cares what they think about anything anymore. That so. is true. Southern Baptists are the largest Protestant body in the country. And so people do pay attention to the politics. Yeah. Larger than the Pentecostals? Organization. Uh, okay. There's a, the Assemblies of God is, I think, what, 13,000 churches. Southern Baptists have about 50,000. Yeah. All right. So I, I guess I was a little bit surprised that it came this far, partially just because of the, when we keep talking about echo chambers all the time, but I know that the ERLC gets a lot of support on Twitter, which is where I primarily hang out on. And so even after this Wall Street Journal article came out that talked about the criticism that was directed at more, there was a lot of support that came out from the people that I follow or the people that follow other people that I follow for him. And so I it was interesting just to see like how deep this fracture came when you're not just looking at social media, which I know is not necessarily indicative of how everyone else feels. And this kind of shows this. So, Ed, we have a bunch of questions for you. Okay. First question is, what is going on here and what's the story behind the story? You know, it's part of it. You got to figure out how much insider baseball to get into because um, some of it's a polity issue. So Southern Baptists give to this thing called the cooperative program. And it's uh, it actually the Southern Baptist Convention existed before that. But the cooperative program has sort of a glue in a lot of ways that keeps Southern Baptists together. That's one of the reasons that I think later on you want to talk about, you know, designated giving. So the cooperative program is is like the the local church general fund. 
that people sort of give to and it's apportioned accordingly. And, and it is, you mentioned correctly so, that it's kind of uh, split between states and the nationals, been a move to make sure that that's uh, moved. Most states have now moved to a, what's called a 50-50 split, but the cooperative program has been that which connected others. And, and so- And this is, this is a voluntary or- Voluntary thing, yeah. There's no, there's no levy, there's no assessment like Methodists or Wesleyans or anyone like that. So, and that, and that's what both is the pretty remarkable thing about it. But the thing that makes it tenuous at times is that 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 the cooperative program giving is uh, is 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 how sort of people support the work in ministry and actually what makes you a Southern Baptist. So they give to this centralized. Um, well, it actually goes through a state convention. So the state convention would receive the funds, and typically about half of that would be dispersed for state things. Then it goes on to the national, a little more, and half of that then goes on to global missions. So think the International Mission Board, and then about a quarter of that to the to the North American Mission Board, North American Church Planning. And then a, a kind of a small percentage of that, 1.65%, goes to the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And that's where some of the you know controversy has sort of emerged now. But numerically, that's not a big percent. So the church is withdrawing its pledge or its commitment, of which only 1.6% goes to ERLC. Well, first, I don't think it's withdrawing. I talked to Jack. I, I knew I was doing this, so I called Jack. They have uh, held. They're not saying they're That's not right. going okay. to give. Right. So okay. what he's also said is, and I, I know I don't think it's a secret that part of it would be related to ERLC, but when I talked to him, it was Southern Baptists in general. He just wants to take a step back and to evaluate things of that sort. Um, that's unusual, not unprecedented. Part of the challenge is, is that the way, since it's all voluntary, it's based on trust. So one prominent Southern Baptist posted uh, on this, uh, a guy named Nathan Finn. He's uh, well well known, used to be at Southeastern, now he's at Union. He said, the cooperative program is only as strong as a level of trust among Southern Baptists. And he gave some history where he talks about uh, in the past during what Southern Baptists, who are still Southern Baptists, probably call the conservative resurgence. The uh, some of the people, the conservative churches, did this same kind of thing as sort of saying, "Hey, you know, we we were given a lot of money. We want to make sure that we trust that we have trust in." The entities, we call them entities, you mentioned agencies, but these these entities of Southern Baptist life. And yes, it does. I mean, we're having this conversation today. And, and I can assure you, they're having a lot of conversations behind the scenes. You may notice that nobody talks about these things publicly. Um, when very, you know, none of the entity heads talk about these things, but they're having conversations behind the scenes because uh, it's not just Jack Graham. There's a trust issue. And I think ultimately the cooperative program only works when there's a trust. You might say... Well, you know, I wish, you know, I, I wish this agency didn't you do this or that, but you have a general trust in what's going on. And the question is, has that been impacted so much? Because Jack Graham is not, I mean, there's a lot of, there's always, one of the things you'll notice about Southern Baptists, there, you're right, there's always a fight and, and it's pretty constant. You know, the Southern Baptists had a battle for the Bible. I say the battle for the Bible has been over and won. Some people just like to keep bombing the rubble. And I've seen this for a decade. So there's always that. But Jack Graham is not sort of a fringy character who sort of is accustomed to throwing grenades from the sidelines. And I think that's what's causing people to sort of ask, what's going on here as you did? So Jack is well-respected. He's a mentor of many pastors. Um, he's, uh, and he's, he's a friend of mine. I, I'm, I'm, I think he's a good, godly man. We disagree on some things. We even When we talk, I disagree. Obviously, I've been an advocate in and around issues of refugees, and they've been very involved as a church in serving, but might disagree with me and my view of the executive order, things of that sort. Again, Jack's not one who's—I mean, I, I 
probably wouldn't be helpful. I can name some people, even some nationally prominent leaders, whose job seems to be to throw grenades into conversations. That's not been Jack Graham. So when he's saying, I'm not trying to start a movement to fire someone, you've given us a little bit of context for that. But my question is, what other message would he be trying to send then? Yeah, well, and I don't know his heart, and I don't know Russ Moore's heart. Um, and and I did. I, Jack Jack tweeted uh, the question of all leadership is humility and accountability. Nothing works without it. Um, I was th- that a recent? Well, tweet? it was a recent, very recent tweet. And, and so, and 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 I, and I, I think um, I think for all of us, we've got to ask the question: um, Is the trust there? If the trust is not there, how do we address and restore that trust? Okay, well, let's talk about the word trust. I mean, the my hardened journalist side says that's a euphemism for you've done something I disagree with. For sure, could be. Could be now here, but here's the thing. So the ERLC is is to represent Southern Baptists. Now the question is, and that's part of the assignment. What does that mean? So for a very long time, they, uh, you know, we we have in the U.S. a representative democracy because we don't want the whim of the moment. Well, the same thing is true here. So ERLC leaders have historically been very much ahead of where Southern Baptists have been on race. Go back to Floyd Valentine, Richard Land. Rich, Richard Land sometimes gets a bad rap. He made some mistakes and, and there at the end had some struggles, but has had really had a long-term, very strong positive record in around issues of race relations, Russell Moore as well. So so now if you go back to, now it wasn't the RLC then, but I mean, Southern Baptists were on the wrong side of the fire hoses on many occasions in during the civil rights era. But it was eth- ethics leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention who represented them better by calling them to a different way. And so how do you represent? Now, what happened in this case, I mean, Russell Moore was clearly the one of the most identified never-Trumpers. And the more, and he's very, very articulate on some of these things, and the more he would say some of those things, the more others would ask him to say more, including Christianity Today and others. Now, the challenge is, is some of those things he said then have become areas where Jack and others have pushed back on. I think a lot of the media has sort of framed this as Southern Baptists who support Donald Trump or after Russell Moore. That that may be true in some cases, but that's not what uh, I think people like Jack Graham are talking about. It's it had to do with what was it? Was it Huck Huckabee who said why Southern Baptists pay Russell Moore to insult them? I think that's probably too strong. I think a better question would be: Is how much do you represent? How much do you speak prophetically? And if you go too far which I think Jack would say that Russ did, if you go too far, how do you address that? Richard Land, we look at his predecessor, went too far on some things and apologized. Now, now to be fair, you may recall that when he went too far on some issues related to race, uh, one of the things happened is Southern Baptist entity leaders don't criticize each other. And so... Publicly. You, publicly. Right, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but in that case, uh, I actually wrote an article and I was uh, criticizing Richard Land. Now, here's what I did. I called Richard Land the night before. I said, Richard, because Harold Harper, good godly man, used to work for Richard. I said, what, what do you think? He said, call Richard. I called Richard. I, he said, well, what are you going to say? I read it and he said, that seems fair to me. And I published it the next day. But I will tell you... When that happens, I mean, we are, Tom, Tom Rainer is a very patient man with someone like my, my former boss at LifeWay. I got a lot of phone calls complaining, et cetera, et cetera, about me. I mean, calls for my resignation, things of that sort. Richard Land. I would, was one of those. You were not one of those. <laughs> uh, Richard Land would subsequently uh, apologize more than just, you know, I'm sorry people might have misunderstood me, but actually said, I'm sorry. Five, I think it was a five-part apology. So I, I think ultimately this is a difficult place for where Russ is in. And I think Russ uh, has spoken prophetically at times. And I think it's a tricky place because because I, I think I would be uncomfortable. Okay, I've written a lot in your magazine about Do- uh, Donald Trump, also about Hillary Clinton, where I've expressed concerns. I've exp- I, would, I, am, I would be concerned when people have this full-throated, 
I love everything about Donald Trump endorsement. Um, I know a lot of them, most evangelicals, white evangelicals, and actually a plurality of evangelicals, I believe, voted for Trump, I think largely because they didn't want to vote the alternative or for the Supreme Court or for other issues. So I get the concerns. The question is, how far is too far? How do you represent? And if you go too far in some things, what do you say? How do you how do you re- repair some of those relationships? Especially if he thought he was speaking prophetically in the very biblical sense of speaking a word of the Lord. Yeah, sure, for sure. He's not going to apologize for that. Although I have noted he hasn't said a thing about Donald Trump in months. Am I correct in that? Uh, I don't follow him at that level, so I don't know. It's certainly been toned down, and I think that's that's you know may, maybe a response to some of these things. Uh, I, I do know he said this. He said there were pastors and friends who told me when they read my comments they thought I was criticizing anyone who voted for Donald Trump. I told them then, and I will tell them now. If that's what you heard me say, that was not my intention, and I apologize. I don't know how that plays over. You know, if, if you heard if you heard it differently, what I meant, then I'm sorry. You know, that's I think ultimately that's part of what this conversation still. And again, I'm not I'm not engaged and involved in this conversation. I've talked to some entity heads. They are. And, and I would say I'm encouraged too. There there is a move to get some people together to have some conversations because I, I hope, you know, if you, you're not Southern Baptist, though we would welcome you. Um, the waters of baptism are always open for you. Yes. Other baptism doesn't count. Well, you know, we just want to get your baptism on the right side of your conversion. Okay. But that's another story for another day. But the Southern Baptist Convention left very united in the last meeting. Uh, it was a kind of a beautiful moments related to the Steve Gaines and J.D. Greer. And I think now it's divided, and I'm, I would just encourage those who are engaged in some of these things to sit down together, have honest conversation, um, give apologies where apologies are due, uh, don't let pride or hubris or any of those things keep us from seeing a united SBC moving forward. I think that's essential. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Ed, can you explain to us who Russell Moore's boss is or who is it, who's the head of the ERLC and who hires him? So here's where it gets really weird. Southern Baptists, they sort of, when they were created the entities as they are now, and then again recreated them some in the 50s, each entity has its own trustees. So uh, Russell Moore, or I used to work for, I think I've worked for almost every Southern Baptist agency at some point. I used to be Southern Seminary and then North American Mission Board. I'm always looking for a, a new place. So you've been fired that often. I've been fired that often. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> trail. wonder how he got all those titles. Exactly. <laughs> I just keep them as I go. So so what happens is if you want to make changes at the best convention, it has to do with electing a president. So the president appoints a committee that, well, I won't go through all, they have all these names, that then appoints others who then ultimately appoint trustees to agencies or entities 
who are then voted on by the SBC, but that's almost always just voted up because they've been recommended by another group. So those trustees, so uh, Russell Moore would have a group of trustees that actually own and govern. Now, there's a thing called sole membership where they technically are connected more strongly than they used to be. They used to be just completely autonomous entities. Now they function still that way. So who does Russell Moore work for? Is the trustees of the ERLC, which are voted on by the Southern Baptist Convention, and and again, it's it's a protective distance. So you know, the Southern Baptist Convention this summer will probably have. I'm guessing Russell Moore will come up. Um, well, I, I've been I've been brought up on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention. Motions to investigate me in the past. They those almost always get referred to the entity. So the trustees of that entity would then take whatever action they would think would be be appropriate. But Southern Baptists as a whole generally can't get riled up on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention and do something to and through an entity. So so ultimately, that's the employer of uh, of, of Russell Moore and everyone who works for ERLC. But same thing. So David Platt works for ultimately Southern Baptists, but through the messengers, we don't call them delegates in Southern Baptist life, the messengers uh, elect ultimately trustees who govern the International Mission Board that David Platt is the head of. The reason why I wanted to get so detailed is I was just trying to understand the ways that Graham might be able to influence what's going on at the ERLC beyond withholding or putting a pause yeah, on this. I must funds. say that uh, as a former Presbyterian, Episcopalian, and Anglicanism, Oh my gosh! The uh, the bureaucracy of the Southern Baptist Church is amazingly well, first, complex. It's not a Southern Baptist Church. Well, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the headquarters of the Southern Baptist Convention is in the local church, not in its entities. I know, but the, so, still, the, bureau- the, bu- the bureaucracy strikes me. We as would like a major to major league bureaucracy. The mission, the finely tuned mission machine there that the go. Southern Baptist Convention. Okay, has. fair enough. Now, I would say though, uh, having been an observer, sir, it, it can be unwieldy at times. And so, for example, go back to the conservative resurgence where Southern Baptists sort of turned to the right theologically, um, and something that I would I was a little too young to be a part of, but certainly supportive of, that that was a process. Really what it boiled down to is electing a new president, electing a new president, electing a new president, who then appointed trustees through a process. And that's how ultimately, so you can't, Southern Baptists can't one year decide they got to elect a series of new presidents and kind of go on from there. Now, back to this. I don't, I, I, I think we should take Jack Graham at his word. Again, he's a man who has evidenced integrity for a long term. Said, I'm not trying to get anybody fired. So my hope is, and I'm, I'm guessing that both Jack Graham and Russ Moore will listen to this, is that they will get together. I know people are working to do that. In fact, I know that's going to happen. And in doing so, have a conversation that's marked by humility and accountability and say, how do we move forward? I, I, I feel a little bit for Russell Moore because this, having just a key, I don't, I don't, I mean, he does this every day. I write in favor of refugees and my inbox is full. I talk about public education, you know, around the DeVos nomination and my inbox is full. And so I, I think, and I, I hope he hears some empathy because i not nearly at the level he is. This is a very difficult place and position to be in. And, and, and I think sometimes you have to kind of say, all right, what do I do on the other side of this, particularly when Southern Baptists overwhelmingly voted for President Trump? And, 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 I, and I, don't know, I, I don't know the path forward, but I know that in, in, in God's good grace and with men of character and humility, uh, we can get together. Not, I wouldn't be in that conversation. They can get together and work these things through. Yeah, now it does strike me that both men are men of character in that regard, but I'm still having this disconnect. The church is withdrawing their entire, or they're putting on hold yeah, their entire, escrowing yeah. their entire yeah. gift. Only 1.6% of it goes to Russell right. Moore's organization. Right. 
and the main conversation it seems like Graham's going to be having to dis- to help discern what to do with that escrow money is to talk to this one fellow who's overseeing 1.6%. So it, so it seems like yeah, on the surface it's a it's a general withdrawal of escrow funds of all Southern Baptist things, but the issue seems to be a very small part of. Well, he has talked about, and again, I, Jack's talked about the direction of the SBC. So I he also, so I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not in Jack Graham's head. What I would say is, is that every local church. Now that just happens to be this local church is is huge. A forty thousand person church. <laughs> exactly. And so people are taking notice. But I, I would say and again, full disclosure, my my last church that I, I pastor just left uh, you know, less than a year ago. You know, we gave ten percent to the cooperative program. Um, we didn't withhold or designate around. But I think every local church has to ask the stewardship question. They're responsible. So if Jack thinks, and clearly he does, that he needs to take a pause, kind of look at this situation. Now, obviously, people take notice of those things. But so again, I think I think I can tell you're bothered by it. I'm bothered by it, but I think we need to go. I'm not necessarily bothered. Just I'm, I'm seeing the, it's the disconnect between the seeming the the small general nature amounts. of it and yeah. the actual conversations that might help heal it is has to do with one small part of the entire budget. So I guess what I'm thinking as a church is. That tells me how important the ERLC and uh, Russell Moore statements have been. That says they're huge because even though 98.4% of it is going to other things they probably support, they're not going to give any money until this issue is solved. That tells me that's really, 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 really important. And I don't know if they're going, you know, all those things you said, I don't know if they're true because I don't know what ultimately Preston Wood will do. That'll be up to their church. But again, I'm concerned also, I, I hear your concern, I'm also concerned that a person of Jack Graham's character and reputation feels it necessary to do this. So I think I can be concerned about both of those yeah, things. Yeah, and that only raises the stakes because he does strike me as an uh, honorable and moderate person all, altogether. I'd never say moderate related okay. to Southern Baptist. That's a whole <laughs> nother thing. Is that an insult? That's a whole nother thing. Okay. I would say it's an insult. That's a different team. He's, uh, and he's so, a judicious man. Yeah, that judicious man. So again, <laughs> go go back to Nathan. <laughs> Southern Baptist all over oh, saying, we need Ed okay. Stetzer to explain all of our vocabulary. I want everyone uh, to know that Ed's a moderate. No, I am not. <laughs> I am not. I love everybody, but I'm not a moderate. That's In Southern Baptist life, moderates are the people who left and sorry, because no one wanted to be sorry. called bad names. No one wanted to be called liberals or fundamentalists. So it it like using the moderates. word lukewarm. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> no, there are lots of moderates who love Jesus, and but again, Southern Baptists are a conservative evangelical denomination. Okay, okay. Now, okay. but back to Nathan Finn's comment, where again it says, now some churches, once again, mostly those who perceive themselves to be on the right, are withholding cooperative program funds because of concerns over certain denominational leaders. The names and faces, and even the issues, change from generation to generation, but it always comes down to trust. In a convention of autonomous churches, which is unfamiliar, I know, in your world, but in a convention of autonomous churches, trust is a necessary ingredient for a meaningful, widespread cooperation. So I think, ultimately, we can restore that trust, and I have faith that, ultimately, that's, uh, you know, when there was a—you mentioned hashtags earlier. There was an I stand with more hashtag, and, and Moore said, no, no, do I stand with the SBC? Well, I think ultimately I, 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 that's a, a, a sign and not a, a direction, I think, that they, there's a desire to see the SBC united, again, like it was this summer, and I'm praying towards that hand. So I, I, I have actually prayed for Russ. I've actually prayed for Jack. But also I think we've got to pray, and it's not, it's not, I should add, it's not just two people. 
again, uh, there's there's more than and it's not just fringy concern again. But but ultimately, uh, I do feel some for us. It's a tricky spot. And I totally get you know, I, I you know, I'm the interim pastor now at Moody Church and I, I addressed the election before the election. But I did by uh, by reading something and I didn't tell people I was reading it until afterwards. And I said, uh, Hillary Clinton's given you plenty of reasons not to vote for her. And, and Donald Trump's giving you plenty of reasons not to vote for him. You could tell people were just getting anxious. And I said, and that was written by Erwin Lutzer, our pastor emeritus, you know, and so <laughs> it's not my first interim, you know, and so, so, so I get, I mean, this is a, this is a very, been a very volatile election season. And I, like you, have gotten, I got this week two invitations to sort of reconciliation, let's get the evangelicals back together meetings. And what, and I think they're important. Um, I think Southern Baptists probably need one of those after this election season as well. And probably that should take place before the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention next summer, but rather some relationships can be rebuilt before then. I want to kind of go into the more like ideological part of this conversation. Given the size and diversity of the SBC or any denomination for that matter, it's obviously unlikely that most churches always agree with all the tenets or mission or strategy of the programs of the denomination at large. So is there a precedent for how churches traditionally resolve these areas of conflict? Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is that not everything you agree with, um, you get. You know, the International Mission Board might use C4 contextualization methodologies. The IMB, by the way, everyone, is the evangelism. Yeah, the the church planning, uh, global global missions. So, So the IMB may use a different methodology in some region that I might differ with. But your idea is, is that you have enough uh, theological agreement, we would call it confessional, we don't have like creeds, but you have enough confessional agreement and missional alignment that you say, you know, there might be some things we differ with, uh, but again, back to your comment, this election has become such a big thing, and it would grieve me, listen to me, Southern Baptists who are listening to podcasts, it would grieve me if the election of a president would be the thing that would divide Southern Baptists considering we've come so far. I got to tell you, 10 years ago, 15 years, Southern Baptist Convention was in another mini war with itself after a war before that. It it doesn't have to be that every time there's a huge war and a huge battle. But I think ultimately this election is such an, you know, every historian writing on politics 20 years from now will start with the sentence, with the exception of 2016, because it was so different. But back back to this. So that's why I think it elevated it. But I think every denomination, there are things with which you disagree. Southern Baptists, are at the place now where most Southern Baptists have confidence that all of their entities are um, are theologically conservative, and trustees have kind of been put in place to do those things. And I think with, I mean, having worked on the inside, now I, I'm not, I don't work for a Southern Baptist entity for the first time, I, what, like a, almost a decade and a half. I've seen the inside. I have confidence that these are men and women of character. And, and again, in any denomination, you have bureaucracy, you have disagreements, you have personal, you know, conflicts, personality issues. But, but who are theologically aligned within the realm of orthodoxy, as Southern Baptists understand it, using their confessional statement uh, called the Baptist Faith and Message, uh, which is most recently updated in 2000. So, so yeah, would there be, man, I wish the, uh, the International Mission Board or the North American Mission Board didn't do this, but as a whole, I'm supportive. Yes, that's where the trust comes back in. I trust, and, and as a Southern Baptist, I'm a Southern Baptist now. I don't work, I don't have a Southern Baptist job, but I am a Southern Baptist. I have trust in the entities. Would I change some things? Yes. But I have trust in the entities that they're, rep- they're, they're working within the theological So conference. what you're saying is that Southern Baptists still believe in their institutions. 
I, I do think that Southern Baptists, by and large, still believe in their institutions. Okay. I think there's so something what, needs to be resolved. What point would the so they would probably use all sorts of means of persuasion, talking to the people yeah. if they disagree. Yeah, going up the chain. Sure. What causes someone to say, "I'm I'm not going to give anymore"? In the in the history of you, yeah. of the churches you've seen, what are why are people? Oh, okay. There? Because it it does seem to me. I see both sides of the coin. I see yeah. one, I can no longer in good conscience give to this organization that's doing something that I think is a violation sure. of biblical teaching. Sure. On the other hand is, I want the change and I'm going to use my money to manipulate the process. Yeah. Uh, I would use the word influence rather than manipulate, but that's because I tend to look at the bright side of everything. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm a journalist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and especially as a manipulator, or can be seen that way too when, you are, when you're the head of the fifth largest church, right? It's a different thing if you attend a, a 200 Absolutely. person. Because in the last few years, I mean, churches have withheld, it's not with it, or sometimes they designate around. So you can like give, you can not give directly to the cooperative program. You can give what's called great commission giving, which was a big controversial, but a new giving category. So you could give directly to the international mission board, for example. And, and some churches do that. Uh, there have been things that um, I'm giving, or I'm not going to give because it's become too Calvinist in some settings, or I'm not going to give because I don't approve of a missiological approach of, of, of one organization or another, but not at the level of as mainstream and well-known. A former Southern Baptist president probably is worth noting. Um, you know, that's what catches people's attention. But it's not in Southern Baptist life wrong to do that. It's, it's not preferred. And I, I want people to have confidence and trust in the cooperative program, Southern Baptists, to give, as my church has done, as I've led my own church to do, because I had that confidence. But uh, Johnson Ferry Baptist Church, uh, which is uh, led by Bryant Wright, retooled their giving to prioritize a higher level of giving to global missions and less to and through their state. Now, I think, I mean, I wrote the cover story in your magazine at your request on the defense of denominations and denominationalism. I think it's better to work and reform a system that you trust that then can go through longevity. Because I wrote that 10 years ago. And for example, Southern Baptists are resurgent now. I mean, here's the thing. Russell Moore, agree or disagree, think he went too far or didn't go too far, still has become a leading voice in, uh, in, in, in D.C. Southern Baptist North American Mission Board, I believe, is now back to being, not where it was 10, 15 years ago, but it's now back to being the leading church planting organization in the country. Uh, the International Mission Board is widely recognized as the leading international mission agency that everyone else partners with. So by having, so I'm not sitting around saying, you know, I'm, I'm, it's all about giving to the man. But I am saying that these kinds of cooperative arrangements called denominations have been the most effective means in our lifetime that people have been about global missions, which I know you agree with because you asked me to write the cover story back in the day <laughs> on CT on this. It's called Denominational Is There a Future? You then put a headstone of a cemetery on the cover. I don't know if it was you, one of your godless people. When my point was that denominations have a bright future, think of how many things have come and gone since you, you well, and I have been around. Denominations still are here. She persisted. Denominations persisted. See what I did there? The political <laughs> reference. There. Mark loves institutions. He does. He Mark is obsessed with. No, no, but okay. So here I'm thinking yeah. about it as a former pastor. So you're you're in a congregation. You're doing. You're leading the charge as a pastor. You in the session, and all of a sudden, your biggest giver comes to your office and says, "I don't like the direction this church is going, and if you don't change it, I'm going to withdraw my pledge." Yeah. So we've all experienced that. Mm -hmm. 
No, I've never. I been, think that I've it, never been in session. That's that's a Presbyterian yeah, thing. Exactly. Again, you need to learn to speak. We have business meetings, and they're calm places where people with grace and love express their opinions oh, towards yeah. one another. That's what I think of when I think of the Southern Baptist yeah. Church. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're my, saying and, take my ball and bat and go home, you know? And but I, when I talk to Jack, that's not what I hear him saying. Because there are people listening to this who are making pledges to local churches yeah. that they are not happy with some yeah. things. There are people listening to this who are members of churches who are not happy with their denomination. And one of the things that an issue like this raises is at, at what point do they do this or ever? Some yeah. would argue you never do it. Once you make a commitment, Oof. your pledges to the Lord. See, I don't think that. And, I don't think. I mean, because because I mean, again, if you're supporting on the national a denomination that's that's gone apostate. Um, now, now again, I'm I, I'm not at all offering Southern Baptist here, but if the giving that you are giving is supporting things that you fundamentally oppose, but if you've made a promise, you've made a pledge that you with you withdraw through the processes that are there in that denomination, brother. Is, you're is a former question, Episcopalian, and now your, you're an Anglican. No, is it your job just to make the argument? Are you talking You're, about lay people here? Or? Either lay people or local church. Okay. Let's just say the local church is going to stop giving to the uh, next body up, whatever yep. it is. Could be judicatory. Let's use a general judicatory. Term. Yeah. Right. On the one hand, you might say, "Well, you're using my money in a way that's dishonoring of the Lord." On the other hand, I made a promise that I would give money in support, okay. and it's not my job to know what they do with it. My uh, responsibility to the Lord is to fulfill my promise okay. and See, my pledge. That's why Southern Baptists believe in the autonomy of the local church, because we don't get in that mess. Uh, because no no church has made a promise. Every church decides and determines that it's better, we can do more together through the cooperative program than we can do alone. Now, I do think that there is a time and a place, and you and I both know, we've, you know we were enough aware with some of the challenges in denominations that have moved away from the gospel where people had to begin the withdrawal proceedings that were contentious enough that they led to lawsuits and more, but I think it is the stewardship of the local church, and this does reflect on Jack's comments, it is the stewardship of the local church to say, do I believe my money is rightfully being used? And generically, if it's being used to propagate heresy, which I don't believe is the case in Southern Baptist life, and, and I haven't, my, my church didn't join in, hasn't withheld funds or anything of that sort, but there is a time and a place for a diocese to secede from a national or a classist, if we want to use, you know, language in the traditional Dutch reform or whatever it is, the judicatory to secede, the church to pull out. I mean, let's look at, at ECO right now. I mean, ECO uh, is what? Uh, the, the covenant order uh, the, the, where people are coming out of the Presbyterians and forming a... Evangelical. Uh, uh, yeah. And so just connecting with, with new churches and forming other than I'm, or joining the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I think there's a time and place to do that. And particularly with the accelerated theological shifts in some mainline churches, we're seeing people withdraw from that. So I would push back and say, I have not made a promise to support heresy, and I think ultimately I need to withdraw through the process. And usually denominations have a polity, and sometimes they don't, and that's why you have lawsuits, but have a polity to withdraw, you know, come out from among some. Well, have to l- do that let sometimes. me suggest a middle ground okay. here, because I don't disagree with that in principle, but I was a part of a congregation that left the Episcopal Church and it was it was a bad witness for some of those people to leave the church. They uh, in our in that church that you make a pledge in January about what you're going to give for the year. You also make, in a sense, a promise when you've joined a committee that you're going to serve on the life of that committee for at least a year. And it really was a bad. I thought it was a bad witness for Christ for the conservatives. Some of the conservatives who just said, "I'm I'm not giving for the rest of the year, and I'm quitting the committee." 
But there were another group of people who said, I made a pledge, and in some cases it was a three-year pledge for a building program. I made a promise, and I'm going to pay that. Yeah. And I made a promise to serve on the Building and Grounds Committee. So even if I'm not going to attend the church, I'm going to go to the Building and Grounds Committee and, <laughs> and sweep or, or clear snow, yeah. because I made a promise to do that. I think that's an honorable position. Here's, honorable here's, position. I think it's just, but I would say, too, that there are people who will come to a different conclusion. If I made a three-year commitment and then an organization suddenly changed its theological stance. I think the question is, is within my character, what do I need to do to be honor the Lord in the midst of that? So I think people, and I think even here, people can differ on the best path to go with that. I guess look, the last point I want to make before we wrap up is that it is just interesting, again, given Jack Graham's stature to make this type of decision, right? It, it, it seems pretty clear that it becomes a conscious issue when no one knows the name of your church yeah. because you can't be even, as as Jack literally says, I'm not trying to start a movement. That's how he begins. He's obviously self-conscious enough to know that given his reputation, he is capable of starting a movement. He's not trying to start a movement, but he did make a point. And I think ultimately he made a point because he felt something convictional that mattered deeply to him. And this is not just a conversation Jack's had. I mean, it's a conversation in and on the SBC. My hope, my prayer, is that people of character can get together, put aside issues of pride or stubbornness that may have gotten us into this situation, and say, how do we get back to a sense of unity? It would, again, it would be the height of disappointing irony if a presidential election were to be the thing that were to divide yeah, the SBC after a theological battle that almost destroyed, that people thought would never happen, actually led to a united confessional SBC. We need to get to the place where this is not the defining issue of evangelicalism or Christianity today. Exactly. Help yeah. us no. get to that place, Jack Graham and Russ Moore and others, so that this is not what we're talking about all the time. As I wrote in an editorial, the name above every other name is not Donald Trump. Or never Trump. So exactly, even, yeah. exactly. So I, yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. So let's let's get to that Southern Baptist. Let's get to that place where we can say a lot of people had different views in and around this election. Now, most Southern Baptists, the vast majority of Southern Baptists, supported Donald Trump. People say, "Do you have the exact stats?" No, but come on. I mean, white evangelicals, the largest white event, predominantly white. Now, now again, mind you, there are ten thousand non-white Southern Baptist churches, not non-majority Southern Baptist churches, which is larger than the ELCA Lutheran denomination. That's how many non-white Southern Baptist churches there are. And so, but the reality is, is here we are, let's pray for our president, let's work towards unity, let's get focused on the mission. We can do this, Southern Baptists. Awesome. All right. Thank you for this great conversation, everybody. I'm glad everyone is still sane and smiling at each other. We of. love everybody. Oh, I'm not smiling. I, I, will, right. I will assure you. I'm a cynical, bitter journalist. You okay, are, you can't get, see it, but everyone's smiling. I will get some mail about this, I can assure you. Not, <laughs> not mail. You get mail. I get emails. So, but anyway. But don't, instead of sending... Ed, your email, hit us up on CT Podcast. We're on Twitter at CT Podcast. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash CT Podcast. We would love to have your feedback there. And then we will probably read some of it on the show next week. So that's a way to be famous for your comments, as opposed to just living in someone's inbox. (laughs) And I just want also to remind people that Christianity Today magazine and subscriptions to that publication are what make this show possible. And you can get a subscription to this publication at orderct.com slash quick to listen, orderct.com slash quick to listen. And if you order now, you can read Mark's cover story in April. Now is the time of show we call Precious Moments. 
everyone can oh, share something that is bringing them those. joy. <laughs> what brings me joy is little statues of somebody fishing. <laughs> Do you get it? Precious moments. Oh my gosh. Okay. No, don't get it at all. You no. don't even get it. Of you course don't... I get it. I named okay. the segment. Okay. <laughs> was it like ironically named maybe, intentionally? Maybe. Okay. Wink. All right. All yes. right. Good. Definitely it was okay. not. Yeah. Okay. Ed, what is bringing you joy this week? What is bringing me joy this week is the, and even in this conversation, is the trust I have in the Lord that he's going to use even our conflicts for his glory as we humble ourselves, look to him, and press forward in the mission. Where can people find you online? Uh, edstetzer.com, or at edstetzer or whatever. They all link from edstetzer.com, but yeah. Cool. Mark, what's bringing you joy this week? Um, God's gift of human ingenuity to human beings, meaning specifically my wife's hard drive broke and I have to go buy our new computer. And I do enjoy buying gadgets, so I'm going to be doing that in the next couple of days. And that brings me joy. Are you going to do a Chromebook, a MacBook, or a PC? Yeah. This is the real question. Are you a Mac guy or not? No, not a Mac guy. Then but... you can't rejoice fully in the Lord. <laughs> Ed literally brought his Mac there. computer in here. Once, I, once I'm baptized, yes. uh, then I will get a Mac, okay? <laughs> Amen, but, brother. It, you know, it's a gradual... <laughs> sanctification is a gradual it, process. It is. You are not far from the kingdom. You are not far from the kingdom. Are you available to be followed online? I am uh, through the Galley Report, which is a, a weekly newsletter, and you can subscribe to that or even read it on uh, christianitytoday.com slash Report. And this week I'm actually, I'm referencing an article uh, from The Exchange by Ed Stetzer. That was an article by somebody else, not an Ed Stetzer yeah, I'm article. I'm sorry, it's not <laughs> by you. I figured it, they've had enough of you from this show. Amen. People but I needed to hear from Jerry Root on how to actually share their faith. Oh, isn't Jerry great? Yeah, good It was stuff. a great piece. Yeah. The thing that brought me joy this week was the weather was really nice last Saturday, and I had about 10 people over for brunch, and I kind of made them food, slash they also had to help me make it. But we just basically sat outside in my backyard and ate and talked for about three hours. I love doing that type of stuff. People can follow me online at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Can I do something? Can I just ask your permission to do one thing before we go? I know this is very unusual. Would you guys let me pray for Southern Baptists and join me in praying for Southern Baptists? Would that be okay? Yes. Okay. All right. Father, I thank you for Russell Moore. I thank you for his articulate calls for caring for the hurting, uh, the marginalized, and others. And Father, I thank you for Jack Graham for year, decades of faithful ministry and impact that's just global. I thank you for others who haven't even been mentioned here. These are just in the news. But Father, I also pray that you would bring a sense of unity and direction for Southern Baptists, that you would cause conversations that need to be had to be had, that humility and authenticity, that honesty and clarity would be put forth in those conversations. And ultimately, you would cause us to, well, do what the writer of Hebrews says, provoke one another to love and good deeds, not just in Southern Baptists, but around the world among Christians, but for Southern Baptists, provoke one another to love and good deeds. Here, lay down our pride, put our everything else checked at the door, focus on you and your mission so you might be glorified. Your name and your fame would be more widely known through Southern Baptists and beyond. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for letting me pray. Thank you, Ed. That is it for us this week. So thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is a production of Christianity Today, and you can find our other odd podcasts by searching iTunes for Christianity Today. Remember to head to orderct.com slash quick to listen to subscribe and support the podcast. This show is produced by Richard Clark and Cray Allred, and you can subscribe by going to iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please make sure to rate and review us. We will see you all next week.
Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.